franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with the business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Hello, and welcome to episode 26 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. My name is Sarah Wasco. This is my colleague, Roxanne Rapsky. And the purpose of our podcast is to share business-related topics, bring in a variety of guests, and uh, discuss matters that we believe could be of interest to prospective business owners. So today, I'm thrilled to announce that our guest is Shay Mora with FranFund. Shay is a return guest on our podcast. She visited us on episode three, and she had her colleague with her where we talked about different forms of financing. Today, Shay came by herself because we're really just going to focus on the lending environment. Um, Last time, we also discussed other means of financing outside of an SBA loan. Uh, But today, Shay's area of expertise is on lending, and we feel like a lot has changed since episode three Mm -hmm. in the lending environment. So it was important to have Shay back to give us an update. So Shay, welcome. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and about FranFund. Perfect. Thanks for having me. My name is Shay Mora. I'm the VP of Lending at FranFund. We are a franchise funding consulting company. I've been there about 10 years, and I love what I do. Wonderful. (laughs) Well, we appreciate you. You provide a lot of help to our clients, and we greatly appreciate all that you do. So really quick, you don't just finance franchises, though, right? You also Correct. finance independent businesses yes, as well. Yes, we can do small businesses, so okay. it doesn't have to be a franchise. Okay, nice. Right. And some people, we are FranNet, they are FranFund, <laughs> and some people um, are under the impression that our companies are related, but they are not related. It's two separate companies, but FranFund is located, headquartered in downtown Fort Worth, um, and they're a local partner of ours for franchise funding. So I thought, really, let's just throw it out there, elephant in the room, topic of conversation (laughs) for so many people these days, and drumroll, please, interest rates. Um, They've gone up. Yes. So tell us how that's impacting you and your role um, and just the lending environment. Let's just talk about the lending environment in general. Absolutely. So yes, rates have gone up. They will most likely go up more um, sooner than later, but people are still needing financing. So to address the elephant in the room, you know, um, even though rates are going up, it's really important to talk about how does that truly affect your loan or your business. So right now, Prime is 4%. Add on the max SBA rate, which is 2.75, you're looking at a 6.75% rate in total. So how much has that gone up, like, since interest rates started going up? What, you know, what incre- what percent increase or what, yeah, percentage rate increase on prime? Wasn't it 3.25 before? Or? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, so, it's so it's just gone, gone up three quarters of a point. Correct. Okay. 
Yeah. So even if rates increase, let's say another quarter percent, every quarter percent when it comes to the loan payment, you're looking at about a $25 increase. So when you really break it down that way, it's not as monumental and negatively significant as one might think. And also when you're in an economy like this, usually business can kind of offset that with increasing pricing and doing things like that. Um, so not a huge hit to your loan payments, which is nice. Now, for people that have big concerns about, okay, but what's that going to look like in a year if they keep increasing rates in 2023, there are some long-term options you could look at, such as once your business is open, it's been cash flowing, it's um, been open at least 12 months is usually where lenders like to see it. You could refinance it, look at a non-SBA conventional product with a fixed rate, which ultimately comes with a lower term. Um, payment, and it would help um, drop off any collateral that, that ba the SBA bank had. And then it's important to remember that SBA doesn't have any prepayment penalties, so you could always pay it off early if you wanted to, if you had the means to do that. What's the average term length of an SBA loan? It is 10 years is the most uh, normal, but if you have commercial real estate involved or very heavy equipment that values out, it could be up to 25 years. Okay. Right. And you said if you refinance that out into a regular non-SBA commercial loan, that the term would be less? It could be. Usually those run around seven years. Seven, seven years. to eight years, okay. yeah. Gotcha. So how, since we talked last year, what is the thought process of these lenders? Um, how are they feeling about lending money for these businesses? are they? Is there a confidence level there? Absolutely. Confidence level is still high. Not much has changed with their underwriting parameters. So they're still looking at the main quali qualifiers, which I'm sure we'll go over in a little bit. Um, but they're still hungry for loans. And franchises especially, you know, they usually have a higher success rate. So um, they are very experienced in the franchise world. And as long as a franchise doesn't have a high charge off or default rate and shut down a lot of locations during COVID or previous years, then they're usually willing to take it on, especially when you have the right borrower. And one of the roles that you play or that Friend Fund plays in this is kind of like a middle person that knows all these different lenders. Aren't there certain lenders that have an appetite for certain things? So if I'm opening up a yogurt franchise, just for instance, yeah. Don't you kind of know where to send that because which banks like that or have more of an appetite for that or a gym or whatever? Yes, which is why it's so important to have a large portfolio of lenders because not every deal is the same, not every franchise is the same, and then not every lender's appetite is the same. And so to have a wide array just gives us more of an opportunity to place that somewhere where both parties will be happy. So that being said, what happens is... Um, a client completes an application, submits it to you, and then you're kind of that middle man, if you will, to then e evaluate and um, determine banks or lenders to your, as you referenced before, that would have an appetite for that type of loan so that a business owner is not having to go and sit down with multiple banks mm -hmm. on their own Correct. trying to figure that out. Yes. So we're really well known in the industry for having extremely thorough, well put together loan packages. So when a lender looks at it and they provide a proposal that outlines the terms they're willing to provide, 
it's very reliable because we've given them everything that they need to make a reliable decision. And then we go over that with the client. And our goal is to get multiple proposals from them so they can really have a few to compare. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, we help them just walk through those terms and help figure out which is the best bank for you. And it could be something that they prefer a larger loan amount or they don't want to have to pledge personal collateral or maybe they just had better rapport with that lender. So it could be a number of things that make them comfortable to move forward. Um, But we'll always give them that additional insight, like what are their turnaround times so they have experience with their brand and other things that may help them make that best decision. That's great. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand the value of your input and involvement and how bringing that well-prepared package can make a a huge difference in the outcome of that application. Absolutely. Because let's say someone goes to their local bank, they can't look at your cash flow projections and say, okay, if you change this, this, and this, then we'll stamp a yes on it. They would just say no, and then you'd have to move on to the next, where we're giving that guidance from a lender perspective to ensure that they have the highest likelihood of an approval. That's great. So you had given me some numbers when we chatted previously in terms of um, loan applications in previous years. So share those with us. Yeah, so the small business credit survey came out and ultimately 2020 through 2021 had about 40% more applicants out of their small business respondents than previous years, which is huge. And that doesn't even include PPP and EIDL loans. So that's true, like SBA 7A loans. And then last year, ultimately, had the most uh, loan volume funded under the 7A SBA program than any other year. And already this year, we're on track within the last five months to beat 2021. So lead flow has not stopped. Um, So whereas we were wondering, is this just because of the pandemic? People really needed financing. Are we going to see it drop back down? But so far, we've continued to see it increase. And I think a big piece of that is the federal-backed incentives that got put out there during COVID really brought in some free marketing for SBA, where some business owners didn't really know what it was, didn't think they needed it. Now they've had some experience with it um, or know some more information about it, and it's now just such an attractive program. Are you So do those loans, those numbers that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. those aren't just for brand-new businesses. Those also working capital loans and refinances. So it it includes all that, right? Anything. So these are stats on the SBA 7A programs, which is what most um, SBA loans fall under. Okay. So let's talk about that. Tell us about the different types Mm -hmm. of loans available through the SBA. Sure. So you have your standard 7A, which is typically loans that are $350,000 and above, and they can ultimately cover anything, working capital, construction, equipment, inventory. And then you have your SBA 7A small loans, um, which our industry kind of mistakenly <laughs> calls it <laughs> express too. But under SBA terminology, it's a small loan and it's loans under $350,000. Um, there's just a higher SBA guarantee that comes into play when it is a smaller loan. So a lot of lenders will play under that small loan program if needed. And then we have our unique lender, lender program that um, a specific bank put together. And it's 150000 and under. Um, they just did their own kind of niche, unique program. But we do have lenders that will do one hundred and fifty 
thousand and above. Um, most lenders don't like to play in the hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollar and below yeah. space. So that bank does come a lot in handy when someone needs working capital, maybe just um, a service based business that just needs some inventory and things like that. Yeah, I talked to a client this morning that wants eighty to a hundred thousand dollars buying an existing business, just looking to pay off some of the um, loans that are equipment loans at the business that he's purchasing. So, and you would think that that would be appealing to a bank, less money, but actually, if I'm correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, you mentioned they oftentimes, a lot of banks don't like that small amount. I'm assuming it's as much work to do an $80,000 loan as an $800,000 loan. And so they would prefer to make more money and and do the bigger ones. Is that right? Exactly. Unfortunately, it's just the same amount of paperwork. So Uh if a lender gets thrown a $2 million deal on their desk and a $100,000 deal, they're most likely going to want to do this one first. Now, the great thing about having, you know, banks that will take on those and we have great relationships with is we do still have those lower amount opportunities and we can usually get pushed to the top of the stack because of our loan packages. That's good. And you, you guys do something unique too, where you actually issue not just a pre-qualification, but a pre-approval. And there is a difference with that where, um, you've actually looked at everything mm-hmm. and it's an it's a pre-approval meaning there's a very very high chance that that loan is going to go through unless the potential borrower goes out and does something that they're not supposed to do like buys a house or a car and right. changes their their ratios right mm-hmm. exactly or there's some undisclosed information they didn't um, think that they needed to disclose despite us asking. Right. But um, yeah, we give a Franklin pre-approval letter so they can even take that to a meet the team day um, to show the franchise that they've been pre-qualified or maybe even to a landlord or a potential seller that they're buying a business from. And we outline um, the proposed terms that we feel will um, most likely be what they'll get from lenders. And if we ever have a situation where we feel like a client may kind of be on the brink of qualifying, Mm -hmm. we'll actually reach out to our lenders to get confirmed interest so that we feel very comfortable and confident that once we have that full package, we're ready to rock and roll and we have lenders that'll provide a proposal. And that whole pre-approval process does not cost them anything, correct? No, it's absolutely free. And it does not ding their credit report, right? Correct. Yes. So we do a soft credit pool. So we get the same um, credit scores that a lender is going to look at just to make sure that all looks good. And that does not negatively affect their credit in any way. And that is also free. That's wonderful. I mean, I just, time is money. And for you to be able to provide that service. Now, once the loan process begins, there is a fee. Is that correct? Right. Okay. So we do charge a fee up to $2,500. And that is for the consulting and helping Um, getting all their documents together, making sure they look good from a lender perspective. And we do have tailored documents specific to that franchise brand to help them. And then we connect them with our lender network, work with them, which is the best lender to choose. And then we even keep helping them all the way up till their loan is closed and starts funding. Well, if you haven't done an SBA loan before, um, I know a lot of people have gone through the mortgage process. And if you think that's cumbersome, um, that's like 
baby steps for <laughs> an SBA loan. Right. So yes. it's nice to have that help because there will be conditions on there where you're just like, what? Absolutely. I mean, it's important to remember it is a government-backed loan, and we all know the government likes yeah. to make things a little more difficult than is needed. So, And it's a super risky. It's the riskiest loan that you can do normally, especially if it's a startup loan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but again, going back to all that you provide for that fee, and yeah. if it makes the difference of them getting approved or not, it's a huge value. Absolutely. And if we cannot get a bank proposal letter for the client, then we will refund $2,000 of that fee. And I can attest to your company sticking with the client until the end because um, you guys have been more than patient with one of my clients that has been um, needy, very needy. And he gives me very positive feedback on um, Tyra in your office and what a great job she has done to help him. So grateful for that attention. And I'm pretty confident that you know, uh, he wouldn't have been able to do it on his own. I really am. Just because, to Roxanne's point, if you've never done it before, it really can be daunting and overwhelming. Absolutely, especially when you're still, you know, you're doing a lot with the franchise, and then if you're, you know, you need a lease location, you're also having to deal with the landlord, yeah. and you have all this other stuff going on. It's great to just have somebody that can basically give you the keys that you need to open your business. Absolutely. And that's him. You know, he's actually signed his agreement um, and kind of rocking and rolling now with the business, but working on finalizing that SBA loan. So a lot. We love hearing that. Yeah, a lot to (laughs) consider. So while we talk about pre-approvals, let's go through what the approval process entails, what these lenders are looking for, what they're expecting in terms of credit score and cash injection and some of those things. Yeah, so we get a very detailed questionnaire from the client up front, and we are assessing four main things. Credit, definitely, as anyone can imagine. So they're typically looking for a score of 680 and above, although that's not an absolute. So if there's a good reason and they're qualified in all the other areas, we may be able to surpass that. But ultimately, 680 and above, and then um, good repayment history. So if someone has a you know repetitive history of just not paying payments, late payments, Maybe bankruptcies, foreclosures, and a lender may have some pause on that. So we'll gather as much information we can to help offset those concerns and then see what we have. And then equity injection. So SBA does require that the borrower put some um, Mm. money into the deal, kind of have, quote, skin in the game. And um, usually right now, it's anywhere from 10 to 30%. I'd say on average, lenders are looking at 20%. Um, So it's still pretty competitive. And um, your franchise fee can count towards that. And our frame fund fee as well, Okay, which is nice. good to know. Yes. So if somebody mm-hmm. is paying a franchise fee of 40000 mm-hmm. they need a $200,000 loan, then there's their 20%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Perfect. Exactly. And then collateral. So they're going to take a lien on business assets in pretty much every SBA loan, no matter the size or program. And then depending on the loan size and the overall strength of the deal, a lender may require some personal collateral as well. And then lastly, um, burn rate or in simpler terms, post-loan close liquidity. So after you've covered your down payment, lenders still want to make sure that you have some money left over in your bank accounts to help cover your personal life as well as helping the business get on its feet if needed. 
About how long or how many months do they generally require? Is there an average on so that? So the very minimum, one of our most flexible lenders are willing to accept 10% of the loan amount okay. as long as you have some outside income. If you don't have outside income, at least 12 months of loan payments, which okay. is pretty doable. We've been able to do a lot more deals without opening up, which has been nice. So one thought I had, um, I know in the past it's been harder to be approved for the prospective business owner if their spouse doesn't work. Um, is that still kind of the case? If, if I come in and I'm looking for a loan to start a business, but my spouse um, is unemployed, stays home with kids and so forth and isn't generating an income, is, it, is there a possibility at all to get a loan in that situation? So would, are you quitting your job or you have no income in that instance? Right. Let's okay. assume that I am quitting my job or I got laid off. I don't have an income. I'm starting a business and my but. spouse stays home with my kids. What's the, what's the outlook there? It's a little more difficult um, just because, you know, depending on what their personal expenses and debt are, they want to make sure they have some means to cover that because then when you add in a business, it can get really tight. So um, we can sometimes budget in a projected owner's salary. So as long as the new business can cash flow that amount, that is a solution. Or if they have heavier liquidity. So, I mean, if someone has, let's say, $500,000 in liquidity and their personal debt and expenses are $2,000 a month, that's probably going to be okay. Do they consider retirement funds liquidity? No. Okay. So liquidity is going to just mainly be stocks and bonds, something they could cash out or cash in the bank. Yep. Checking savings, cash render of life insurance. Okay. So unless they pull that money out of retirement through a distribution or a ROBS, um, a rollover for business startup, it's not going to count. Okay. But totally a different scenario if that same individual is not going to quit their job and they're going to pick a business that is what we call semi-absentee where they can manage a manager and keep their job. Mm -hmm. That would be different, right? Yes. Because be there's still income. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right, good to know. I don't think that has changed much. I mean, I feel like it's been that way for the 10 years that I've been here. Yeah. So even with the ups and downs in the economy, it seems like that has been fairly consistent, consistent. those yeah. requirements. Agreed. Lenders are usually looking for outside income, really heavy or decent liquidity, or can the loan be fully secured with personal collateral? And then they feel a lot more comfortable if someone doesn't have outside income. So I was really looking at those three things in that scenario. What happens when somebody is um, investing in more than one location? If, they're, if they want to buy ABC franchise and they want to build out three locations over a period of time and they want to get a loan on each one of those locations, how does that work? That is a great question. So we always try to look at a short-term strategy, how are you going to get that first one open? But you also definitely need to think about those, let's say, other two if they're doing three units. So um, an example solution would be get an SBA loan for the first because you, in most cases, it's the smartest to go ahead and utilize capital, right? Because then you can reserve your personal funds. Now, when a lender is looking at loan number two, they want to see that that first business has usually been open at least 12 months. It's positively cash flowing so it can cover its own expenses and debt. And then they'll look at options. Uh, location number two. So if that's not happening, depending on what the timing in the franchise agreement is, they could run into a little bit of an issue. 
So our proposed solution, if they do have retirement funds available, or maybe if they have some marketable securities they can take a line against or something like that, do that for location too. Then you're not having to rely on a lender to tell you yes or no. You can just open it whenever you want, as quickly as you want, debt-free, and then do a loan for number three. And by that time, you're an established business owner. Um, you would probably have more options open up. So not only an SBA loan could be a solution, but also a conventional loan or some other things out there. Because usually you've been in business at least two years by that time, sometimes mm -hmm. even three. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I would definitely try to utilize capital first. You can start building business credit. And like I said, then you have that cash cushion and you can get open sooner than later for your subsequent units. Does the type of business matter, either in multiples or singles? I feel like for a while during the pandemic, there was some concern with lenders regarding certain industries mm -hmm. that experienced um, more trouble, I guess, fitness, hair care, those businesses that yeah. were required to shut down. What's the thought process on those types of industries now? Is there any holdup or setback? Not really. I think they've gotten a lot more comfortable with how things are now. They've kind of leveled back out. I'd say they're paying a lot of attention to the FDD item 20. So were there terminations? And if so, why did certain units shut down? Looking at the Coleman report, which shows SBA performance. So did they have a high default rate? And if so, why? Um, and if a brand does have you know, uh, metrics like that, then getting a really strong borrower is going to be really important in that instance. That's great. So how can you define a really strong borrower? <laughs> can you define that? Or I that would too? say they are hitting all four of those qualifiers. Okay. So they've it, got a high net worth. They've got a really good credit score. Mm -hmm. They have a ton of post-closing liquidity. Outside income. And if they need it, some personal collateral to pledge. So we're in a homestead state so that their home cannot be um, used as collateral. Mm -hmm. Correct. Are most of the banks or lenders um, requiring personal guarantees? Yes. Okay. On every SBA loan, you're going to have to provide a personal guarantee. If you, are, um, if you have 20% or more ownership in the business, if you are a key employee or you are a director, officer, someone that is structured into that business entity to have power of authority, ultimately. Very important information and good to know. Well, and going back to this being a homestead state, so you can't collateralize your property, what would you do to offset that? Can you put money in an escrow account? Like, what would another offset be? Yeah, so luckily most lenders are okay moving forward if there's not available real estate like that. Um, SBA pretty much says you can't deny a deal just because they don't have personal collateral. So they could look at other things like if they have marketable securities, they could take an assignment on those, which okay. ultimately means the custodian that houses those stocks or bonds would just have to sign something saying they're frozen and they can't be liquidated or traded gotcha. until the loan's paid off. Um, banks used to accept cash and throw it into a bank account, and it was termed a payment reserve or cash cushion, or they may even take a CD. You don't really see much of that anymore. I don't think SBA really likes it, so they kind of started pushing away from that. Okay. Um, but yeah, being in Texas and um, having a homestead property does not necessarily kill your deal, which is good. That's good. Well, yeah. we've been able to do quite a few deals, so that is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any final 
thoughts on lending that we anything we didn't ask you that you think anyone listening should know? Um, you know, I just think that it's so important to have a plan. And I know we kind of talked about that. Um, but utilizing resources to really figure that out before you just go to your local bank mm-hmm. and get locked into something that maybe wasn't the best decision. Um, and just to be aware of what's going on in the world, you know, just read and watch the news and make good decisions. But I think that lending is still in a great place and lenders are still loaning money and I don't feel like that's going to change. Good to hear. Anytime soon. Really good to hear. Good news. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Shay. We appreciate you driving down here to be on here (laughs) with us and educate us. The loan environment's constantly changing. It is. The one thing that you didn't say that I do want you to say before Mm -hmm. we go is um, talk about interest rates. They're still, even though they're going up, they were still higher when? Yeah. So interest rates were actually higher in 2019 than they are now. Um, They were at 8.25%, which was the max SBA rate. And right now you're at 6.75% max. So, and I didn't even realize that before you said that. It just didn't even. I didn't register with that either. I think that we have just experienced such low rates over the last couple of years that any increase seems fairly dramatic. Uh, but the reality is, you mentioned 2019, that was only three years ago, right. you know, and how quickly we forget sometimes. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> because, and it really makes sense. We, I know it's not a business SBA loan, but we bought our home in 2019 um, and then we're able to refi in 2020, you know, at about an interest rate, almost 2% less. Wow. So... Um, kind of interesting. Well, thank you for joining us. We, as Roxanne said, really appreciate you being here today and taking time. You always have such great info. So we thought it was important to have you back. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming back. I always have so much fun with y'all. All All right. For those of you listening, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Please follow Sarah and I on LinkedIn. You can find us. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, R-A-P-S-K-E. Sarah is Sarah with no H, Wasco, W-A-S-K-O-W. And uh, you can also find us on frannet.com. You can find Unpredicted Entrepreneur anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And finally, you can find us on our YouTube channel at Frannet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. Thank you. Bye-bye.